Some of you may know me, some of you may not. I am not the lead pastor. I am not the assistant pastor. I'm not even a pastor at all, so. Um, my name is Tim. Uh, I am a Fuller Seminary student. <laughs> um, I'm doing my master's online. Uh, I am also in the Army National Guard uh, as a commissioned officer. Um, and I mean, some of you may more commonly know me as the fiance to the beautiful Pamela Gutierrez. That's right. She was an intern last year for Discovery, um, so that's probably how you know me. Um, yeah, so today we are going to be continuing our vision conversation. Um, if you'd like to join me in your Bibles, uh, or you can look at the screen behind me, we're going to be in John chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine, it did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Uh, before I start, if you feel comfortable, please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to gather here. May your presence be known in us and all around us whether inside these walls or outside. Everything is touched by you. Allow us to see your presence permeate our lives in all that we do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so when looking at Scripture, there are multiple ways to interact with the text. One of the ways is looking at different aspects, and we can call these aspects worlds. The world behind the text looks at different historical, cultural, socio-political aspects within a certain passage. We can ask questions like, what did ancient Jewish weddings look like culturally? Where is Cana located geographically? Right? These questions can help us to build a better mental picture of what the scene was like within the time, the setting, and the narrative. On the third day. So this wedding was already going on for two days. In ancient Jewish culture, weddings lasted a week. Imagine paying for a wedding celebration lasting a week. Like, 
I mean, according to thenot.com, right, a, a wedding website that Pamela and I are currently using, the average cost of a wedding in California is $37,000. Ours is not costing that much. But that's for one day, right? So if you multiply that by seven, you get $259,000. That's a lot of moolah, okay? Uh, that Pamela and I don't have. Um, but so the ancient people of uh, Jerusalem, right, the Jewish people knew how to party, I guess, and putting me to shame, geez. But we run into a dilemma in this narrative. A few verses back, Mary says, there is no wine. So only three days into this joyous celebration that's supposed to last seven, the party juice is gone. Mary tells her son that they're out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. Right? Jesus isn't the host, right? It's not his job to go find more wine, as we assume Mary's asking of Jesus. But then you know what she says? Do whatever he tells you. Like disregarding his statement, which I think is like a classic mom-son interaction. It's like, I don't know if you've experienced this. I mean, I don't know if I have. But when your mom is like, or, or guardian says, you know, go play with this kid, right? And you're like, what concern is that to you and me? Like, I'm minding my own business, mom, playing Transformers, okay? And that kid's on the slide. Like, we're in two totally different worlds. But then somehow, some way, you end up playing with this kid because your parent used their like Jedi mind trick they acquired through parenthood. And so you end up playing with the kid and it's actually a good time and it might have been even fun. But let's look back at the text. Jesus, after Mary uses her mom powers, turns the water into wine. And not just a little bit of wine. It's actually like 120 to 180 gallons worth. So if we're thinking in terms of 25.4 fluid ounce bottles, that's about 607 to 907 bottles of wine. Like, that's a lot of freaking wine, okay? Again, this wedding celebration, right, is supposed to last the entire time. The, the wine's supposed to last the entire time. So not only this, but then the steward of this wedding celebration says, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. So as Pamela and I are wedding planning, right, we made the decision to have a cash bar, right? People can drink, but we are not racking up thousands of dollars because one, we're not Jewish uh, ancient times celebrating for seven days, and two, we can't turn water into wine. Although I might be able to after I finish my master's, we'll see. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. No heresy in this church, right? No, but there's a different culture here, right? Just like there are different cultures around the globe. We might find it a little hard to relate to this dilemma. Like as in American Western weddings, right? They're typically one day. But traditional Cambodian weddings last three days. And Pakistani traditional weddings last 10 days. The point of this, right, is that the wedding in Cana was supposed to go on for multiple days. They ran out of wine, and Jesus turns water into wine when it wasn't his job to ensure 
the celebration continued. Now, if you look at verse 11 with me, it says, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of John highlights that this is the first miracle, right? The first of Jesus' signs, that it revealed Jesus' glory. And this is the first time in the Gospel of John that his disciples believed in him. This should raise some questions like, why was Jesus' first sign at a wedding? Or why, if Jesus already called his disciples, and they were already calling him the Messiah previously in chapter John, verse 1, right? Would this be the moment that they believed in him? All fantastic questions. Thank you for asking them. Remember when the steward called over the bridegroom and said, you have kept the good wine until now? The word good here is kalos, right? It's, it's Greek. And this, right, this means good, but it relates to beauty and wisdom. Uh, I think earlier Justin asked, why was Jesus' first sign turning water into wine? Right? What's the significance of that? That was a great question, Justin. Thank you. John is showing us in this passage, kalos, good, beautiful. Right? Jesus turned water into wine, but a more fitting description is Jesus created wine. The first sign of Jesus' miracles is an act of creation, beauty, all within the context of a wedding. Jesus, as the Son of God, is in perfect communion with the Father and the Spirit. And the act of creating is something John, by pointing us to this beautiful wine, is showing. John is pointing us to Genesis, to the creation account. And you can see it here on the screen, all the places God calls his creation good. Now, the Old Testament, right, in Hebrew, the word here is tov. Tov is the equivalent of kalos in Greek. You can trust me, okay? Now, I'm not super duper into word studies, but this allows us to see an overarching narrative of the beautiful creation, right? And there being an importance to the actual physicality of creation. Now, what does Jesus' first miracle at a wedding have to do with our vision as a church? How do we reimagine mission in a post-Christian world? Fun is spiritual, is the realization that the Trinity is working everywhere, all the time. Fun is spiritual is our way of pointing to two truths. First, joy and pleasure are, a founda are foundational to a healthy spirituality. God doesn't create out of anger, but joy. And he is pleased with his good creation and invites us to enjoy it with him. And second, God is present in all aspects, in all areas of our lives. There's no separate space that God shows up in. When creating, God didn't separate the spiritual from the physical, the soul from the body. He made it all and called all of it good. And Jesus is doing the same thing. In a space that is not religious, people are just having a good time. Jesus creates, he shows up, and he reveals his glory. There is no hour-long prayer before he does his miracle, nor does he quote a lengthy amount of scripture before performing it. 
he just acts, making his presence known to his disciples and servants. You see, we don't have to go looking for spiritual moments. That's what is meant by fun is spiritual. It means that God, Jesus, and the Spirit are with us in all aspects, all the time. One of the books I read last quarter in an ethics class was on politics, right? That's like kind of weird, but the book Political Visions and Illusions by David Coises is just a long way of saying fun is spiritual and introduces the term sphere sovereignty. It's the idea that authorities of family, state, church, school, business, labor unions, and yes, even politics, are conferred immediately by God himself. This means that Christ is involved in all aspects of our lives and shows us that there's no dualistic, spiritual versus mundane, but there is a beautiful good, a callous union of Christ's presence with us in everything we do. Whether at the grocery store, chatting with a worker at the register, whether singing worship songs on Sunday morning, or planning a wedding, right? Christ is with us in the mundane, in the sorrow, and the joy. And that's what fun is spiritual means. Um, I'd like to invite up uh, Steve, because he's going to be continuing the conversation of our vision on what fun is spiritual is. Thank you, Tim. Uh, come on, give it, give it up for, uh, there you go. <clears throat> give it up for Tim, who is in the middle, like, he's in the middle of, of a quarter of, like, reading books, like the one that he was just talking about. Uh, he's in the middle of planning for a wedding and doing a bunch of other things uh, as, an, as a, uh, a National Guard chaplain. Um, and just, you know, in his spare time, writing a sermon for us and giving it on Sunday morning. So thank you, Tim, for taking the time to do that. And uh, again, as we've talked about this morning, I mean, in many ways, this is, this is the model of generosity, right, that we've been uh, hearing about in these different moments throughout our gathering today. So appreciate Tim leading us uh, into this. Um, this Year's vision conversation has been a lot of fun for me because of the ability to team teach it with uh, Yuen and Antonio and Kayla and today with Tim. And that kind of speaks to just in general the joy and fun that I am having in, in this season. The last couple of months uh, have just been really great as we've uh, brought Marla on board um, as we've started to kind of turn the corner to a new year, and, and it just feels like a, a really fresh moment in the life of our church. And as I've been saying in some other contexts, this is the most fun I've had at Discovery maybe ever. And so I am very encouraged by, uh, by where we're at and, and, and some of the things that are kind of percolating uh, in this vision conversation. And that's what I want to talk about here for the next couple of minutes. I think originally the idea was for, for Tim to do the seminarian work and talk about Greek and Hebrew words and all that good stuff. And then I was going to tell a little bit more of my story. But I feel like the invitation for us right now this year is to dream a little bit collectively and individually. And so I want to use 
our value of fun as spiritual as a way to kind of invite us as a community into the process of dreaming together. In many ways, this value, fun is spiritual, it's one of those, it's kind of a, like, what is that? <laughs> uh, which is meant, uh, it's meant to create that question on purpose. But to me, this is the value. All of our values, I think, sort of work together to make kind of a whole picture. But this one in particular represents the flip in thinking that we need to embody to accomplish our mission. To help people discover and rediscover the good news of Jesus. To go on this quest together, as we've been saying over the last several weeks, to reimagine church and mission in a post-Christian context. We really need to own this value. In pre-Christian and Christian context, the, the ways of doing church and mission, the models that it was built on, were driven by a very hard split between spiritual and non-spiritual, church and the rest of my life, uh, um, you know, whatever, whatever kind of spiritual God things that might be happening and then all the other stuff that I'm involved in. And the whole goal was, how do I get people from these other things, work, hobbies, whatever I, I might be into, uh, how do I get people to go from there over here to church, right? And it was, it's very kind of extractional. How do I get people to come out of this, come out of this like uh, secular space into this sacred space? And <clears throat> there's, a, one of the things I wanna be very clear about this morning is there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church, right? There's nothing wrong with inviting people to discovery-related activities, if you will. But this kind, of, this kind of thinking of like, there's these two separate things going on, and if I can just get people to go from one to the other, it's not working as effectively in a post-Christian world. And so again, I think that this value that we're talking about <clears throat> this morning helps us to kind of get into this place where we're no longer thinking about how do we get people to leave this and come over here, move from one space to another space, and instead, how do we take the, the good news that we know and have experienced because of what Jesus has done for us, how do we take that with us wherever we go? And so the move is less, how do I get people to go from here to church and more about how do I get church, how do I bring church with me wherever I am? Are you with me? All right, so what I want to do is I want to just share some different areas in which we are thinking and dreaming as a church community, and, and I want to talk through how this value kind of drives some of the thinking behind ideas that we have for these areas, and I want to invite you into this, into thinking and praying and dreaming with us about these different areas. How can we embody this posture to go and, and to bring good news with us rather than just hoping that people will come and see, how can we, uh, and I love the way that Tim unpacked this for us, how can we go and bless the party that is already happening? Right, Jesus doesn't turn water into wine to get people to come to church. He just does it to bless the party that he's already at. 
And so how can we adopt that mindset and be a blessing in the places where we already are instead of trying to figure out how to get people to leave those things and go to some other thing? All right, a couple different, uh, a couple different areas in which we are dreaming and praying through this. First is the campus. All right, it is estimated that about 2% of the students at UC Davis are involved in some sort of spiritual community, a church or a campus ministry, something along those lines. Now, if you use traditional, what are called traditional missiological categories, the campus would qualify with those stats as an unreached people group. Think about that for a minute. Now, I think we can argue about whether, you know, is it 2% or, you know, there's some other number and, and all of that is fine. I want to go with this. I want to go with this. I think that at least 90% of the campus population is unchurched, which means that UC Davis is a post-Christian campus. And so one of our dreams is what would it look like to do campus ministry at UC Davis that isn't about collecting Christians, but is about reaching that 90%. To do that, right, we're going to have to think about things differently. We're going to have to try things that haven't been done before. We're going to have to imagine possibilities that have yet to be tapped into. Now, we do have some, uh, some really great friends who are doing this kind of thing all over the world. Our, our partnership with Global Scope that you've heard about, I think, from time to time. We've sent some teams to, to work with them, uh, particularly the teams in South America. But they've been doing this for a while. Rethinking campus ministry in these post-Christian cities all around the globe. And, and I think our work with them and some other folks in our different networks it is starting to produce some traction around what would it look like to start a funnest spiritual sort of campus ministry at UC Davis. In fact, Tim is a part of this conversation. We're starting to think about the fall of 2025. I want to invite you to dream with us, to pray about this, to, to imagine with us what would it look like for Discovery to get behind and invest in a team that is that is bringing the good news to campus. Not just trying to get students to come to our stuff, but bringing the good news to campus. All right, that's one area. I think another area that needs a lot of rethinking and imagining and dreaming is kids, youth, and families. More stats. Today's all about, all about stats, apparently. And fun is spiritual. Uh, Sacramento and the Bay Area routinely show up on lists of, of least church, most post-Christian cities in the United States. Now, Davis is too small to show up on those studies, but my guess, based on our demographics, our location between those two cities, and, and just the number and size of churches here in our city, is that we're right there with that trend, if not ahead of it. Now, a couple more just kind of interesting demographic trends. You know, one of the things that, that people are noticing and writing a lot about is uh, uh, de-churched people, people who are not attending church anymore. Uh, the fastest growing category of spirituality in the United States of America is nuns, meaning no affiliation with anything. All, all sorts of things coming out about this. You know who's the, the most likely to drop out of church right now? You might think 
you might guess, college students, young adults, people who have been, uh, who maybe have been educated and don't, don't believe in God anymore or something like that, but actually, the most likely demographic to drop out of church attendance is families of teenagers. And the reason for this, if you think about it, is it makes a lot of sense, is the family calendar gets so loaded with activities, church is very easy to squeeze out. So you, you, putting some of these things together, the, the reality of the region of the country in which we live in, and the uh, just kind of this, the, the busyness of life that, that families can get into, you can begin to see, hey, come to our cool program at our church. It's going to be really hard to compete with this uh, team or this program or this theater thing or whatever that's going to get these kids into, you know, college or the scholarship or whatever, right? It's going to require a shift in our thinking, different ways of approaching this. I've also quoted a, a couple different times this, this study from Barna and the Fuller Institute that shows that one out of ten, one out of every ten kids who is growing up in a church, will go on to have what they call or define as a resilient faith. Meaning that as they, they sort of age out of, of kids' ministry and youth group and, and, and their family church life and go on to the next thing and become older, 10% of kids will continue to follow Jesus. That is a startling statistic. The come and see, the, the, the let's put on a good program format of, of church that has been used uh, extensively in the United States of America over the last 50 years is not working. It's not reaching families and, and people who are, uh, who are sort of outside the church circles and even within church circles is not doing a great job of discipling kids and families. We need to reimagine Right? We need to dream bigger dreams about what this can look like. And I think a lot of what it might look like is what we've been talking about this morning, which is that flip of thinking to how do we help families, parents, guardians, kids uh, live in, in a network of relationships, but also to see the places that they are already at, not as something to escape or get away from, but actually this is where we're supposed to be doing life and discipleship and mission and church. And I think part of our role is to help equip families to be good news at those schools, at those ball fields, the theater, whatever the places they might be, because they're there already. How do we equip them to be good news in those places and with those people? Right? How do we help families learn how to bless the parties that they're already a part of? So campus and family stuff. And then two more things that I just want to mention. For a while now, we've had this dream of creating an artist community. Uh, a space where creatives can come together to exchange ideas and and talk about the things that they're working on and creating, and, and build relationships, because honestly, one of the biggest gaps right now is between church and, and creatives. 
The church is not seen as a place that, that's excited about or, or a place where uh, artistic expression can flourish. Which is heartbreaking on a whole bunch of different levels, but even just historically speaking, the, the, the church for thousands of years was the place to go for a creative and artistic expression. And now it's seen as one of the last places. Now, again, this is going to require us to do some things and try some things that, that are a little risky, that, that maybe don't have churchy vibes attached to them. Right? We're not talking about just doing a Bible study for artists. But how can we create space and opportunity for creatives to encounter the good news of Jesus in the places where they're already doing this work, where they're already writing these songs and, and doing this art and designing these things. How can we be a part of that? Not to get them out of it and come to our stuff. Again, if they come to church, that's beautiful and good. But the goal cannot be to extract people out of this. How can we go and be a blessing in those places where they already are. One more. Uh, I got to be careful how I say this one. Because we love the theater. We have a great relationship with the theater. And we have no current plans on moving into a different space. However, if somebody were to come and give me the keys to a building, I might take them. And the thing about physical space that I think is, is gets us kind of excited when this conversation comes up from time to time is not that we need a place to do a Sunday morning gathering. We have, I think, maybe the best space to do a Sunday morning gathering in Davis, right here. But a 24-7 physical space would be an amazing opportunity to live out this value of fun and spiritual. To, to have a space that physically demonstrates that flip in thinking. And so if we ever got our hands on a building or a 24-7 space, it would not just be about, okay, great, now we can finally do Sunday morning without setup and teardown. Although setup and teardown might, might be a little excited about that. No, it would be about, okay, now let's open a coffee shop or a restaurant or an art studio or my dream, just personally speaking, is for a music venue. Most church facilities sit empty during the week. And maybe there's a Tuesday night thing and a Wednesday night meeting, but it's all about Sunday. And then the rest of the time, it's just empty. And so one of the ways that we could truly live out this value of fun is spiritual is to have a space where stuff is happening all the time. And it may not even be about or with the discovery logo and stamp of approval on it, but it's, it's creating that space for people to build relationships, for people to encounter good news, and, and for the church to bless the city, the people, the place that it is already a part of, not to get people to come out and come join our stuff, but to be a part of it. Here, here's, um, I don't know if we have these pictures, but there's that ACE building downtown. There's the old Enterprise building downtown. I live in South Davis. There's several things that are open right now. I, I'll just, this is just a, a spiritual discipline that I engage in. When I drive by, I say, God, give us that building. <laughs> it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> but if you are so inclined, 
Just pray about it. Who knows what will happen? Just pray about it. Who knows what will happen? Fun is spiritual is this invitation to imagine the possibilities outside of the typical boxes of contemporary church thinking and to dream together. God, what are you up to even here at this wedding in Cana? What are you up to even here in Davis? Most of the things that Jesus does, miracles, teachings, don't happen at church. Right? They happen as he's out doing life it just in the, in the mix. And as he and his team are, are moving through life together, opportunities come up for healing, for teaching, for conversation, for miracles. Right? It's in the midst of just that regular everyday stuff that most of our favorite stories about Jesus happen. And in the same way, each one of you is already a part of stuff, right? You're a part of teams and classes and, and uh, organizations, and you work somewhere, and you go to these different places, and, and God is already there. God's already at work. Do we have the eyes to see it, and do we have the courage to join him? Do we have the eyes to see it, and do we have the courage to join him? Let's dream together about what that might look like. Now, as we get ready for communion, this relational Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is always inviting us into deeper relationships. Deeper relationship with him and with each other. We are better together. We are a church for the rest of us. Fun is spiritual. We get to participate. There is great joy in the things that we get to do. But sometimes when we get into the, the vision conversation, we can kind of, uh, our, our brains can kind of click into that doing thinking, Right? Which in some ways is really good, and there's a, again, there's all kinds of, of applications of this, and, and we can sit around and talk and dream together, and it's all wonderful stuff. I don't want us to miss, though, that at the heart of all of this is, is not an invitation to go do more things, but to receive. There is one very critical aspect of Jesus' mission that is his alone, and that's, that's his death. Only Jesus gives his body and his blood for our salvation. Only Jesus saves. And so communion is this powerful reminder that we are not the saviors. Jesus is. And it's pretty cool if you ask me, it's pretty cool that he invites us into his mission, that he invites us to, to dream with him and, and to reimagine what, what church and mission can look like. But at the heart of all of this is, is he's the Savior and we are not. 
And we are invited to the table to receive, to receive his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. Right, the ultimate sign. We, we, we saw in John 2, the first sign is wine. If you follow the signs through the Gospel of John, the seventh sign is the resurrection of Lazarus. And then there's like, oh yeah, there's this whole other part of the story. There's an eighth sign, Jesus' death and his resurrection. Something is going down. And we are invited to receive this good gift. Right relationship with him and with each other through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So I want to invite the the band to come back. We're going to sing a couple more songs here as we close our gathering this morning. Uh, If you would like to pray uh, with someone on our team, we'll have some people on either side of the the theater here available for prayer. And then we've got our our three communion stations uh, around as well. Whenever you're ready, come and take, come and receive the gift of Jesus' body and blood broken and poured out for you. Salvation, restoration, redemption, life, abundant life now and into eternity. We have tremendous good news. We have tremendous good news to share with people. And we have the joy of bringing that with us wherever we go. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray, and then we can come to the table and worship together as we close our gathering. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, We come to the table this morning grateful for Jesus, for what he has done on our behalf. We come to the table this morning ready to receive, once again, the good news of Jesus' body and blood for us, that you are for us, that you are with us through the person of Jesus. So, Father, may we receive that this morning. And as we literally take that good news into us, we bring it with us wherever we go. All the different places that, that, that we get to be over the course of the week, may we, may we be and bring good news to those places. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.